booth, not that Chris, that Chris, to just shred on the guitar. So yeah, give it up for Chris, just shredding like solo mission. Uh, so it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I thought it would be appropriate for us to talk about somebody from Kansas, amazing football coach, amazing mustache, appears on television, great wit, loves barbecue, but we're not, thank you, who said it? Yes, we're not talking about Andy Reid, we're talking about the one and only Theodore Lasso, who loves to encourage people into this thing called belief. Now, some of you are not familiar with Ted Lasso because you do not watch Apple TV, or maybe you have a problem with watching shows that have those types of words in them. The thing I like to tell people about Ted Lasso is it's a lot like Taylor Swift's career. The longer it goes, the more swear words there are. So just a heads up. <laughs> Ted Lasso, he broke on the scene. He first was in a commercial, and then Apple writes this whole series. Jason Sudeikis writes this whole series around this character, Ted Lasso, who moves from American football to English football, and he is hired as the coach to bring about the restoration of this club that is on the brink of not only getting de-ranked, uh, de but also as a way to get rid of this team altogether. But ah, alas, Ted Lasso believes in belief, and this guy, he brings about the restoration. I'm not going to spoil it. You'll have to watch it yourself. It's on Apple TV. What does it mean for us to believe in something? See, this hangs in the locker room of the football team and plays a crucial role in the series. What does it mean to believe in something? What does it take to get us to believe in something or to believe in someone? And then when we do believe in something, what does that do to our actions? Because we can hold a belief like, say, um, texting and driving is dangerous, but then we find ourselves with our phone in our hand or our phone on our dashboard, and we're doing the thing that we know is dangerous. What if we believe that exercising 30 minutes a day has big health benefits, but does that move us to do anything differently? How does our belief change our behavior? What if I believe that a behavior that I'm participating in is very destructive, and yet I find myself in this loop and this cycle of constantly doing it or continuing to do it, even though I know that this belief is not beneficial and, in fact, is harmful for me? How do we form beliefs, and then how do we take those beliefs and use them in our lives to either benefit us or maybe to change our behavior? We've been on this journey throughout this year of 2024 talking about what is it that we believe here at Timberwood Church. And so each week we've been talking about various beliefs through the Statement of Faith. You can find it on our website. If you go timberwoodchurch.org and then on the top there's an About drop down. Slide over to the left as the video is playing and someone's driving into the... There's a video that plays. If you've ever been on our website, you just click on the uh, beliefs and there they are. This one is one of the essentials. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures as a representative and substitutionary sacrifice that he rose victorious from the grave on the third day 
and that all believe in him, all who believe in him as Savior are justified on the grounds of his sacrificial death. Sounds so churchy, doesn't it? So you're like, you lost me at, you know, representative and substitutionary sacrifice. Well, it's okay, you're still here, but you might want to buckle your seatbelts because this one could get a little bit spicy. Last week we talked about the truth that we are made, human beings are made in the image of God, and that we have this thing called a sin problem or this separation that has resulted because of our behavior that separates us from God. That was what we talked about last week. So this week we're going to talk about the solution. The fact that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the pathway for reconciliation of us back into a relationship with God. And Karl Barth, the theologian, talks about how time, he sees the cross as the place in which time radiates forward and backward. The cross being the most important thing that has happened in all of human history. You're like, God, it seems like we've sang a lot of songs this morning about the cross. True statement. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We're going to talk about what's happening on the cross. Brian Zahn contends that the cross and resurrection is the lens through which we have to see the rest of the world. The cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in essence, become our spectacles through which we view all of the world. So let's open to Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Some people call it 1 Corinthians. I call it 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961 in your blue Bible. We're going to read a few different verses this morning, so you're going to get to jump around a little bit, get to look at some interesting letters. Now, 1 Corinthians 15.1, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on, but frankly we don't have all this time to go through what Paul is continuing to say to the Corinthian church this morning. But what is happening on the cross? What is happening through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, again, as we talked about last week, we have this uh, problem that starts in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of Genesis that is the separation of humanity, this barrier that exists between humanity and God. And so God spends the rest of the Bible up until the Second Testament dealing with this sin problem through the sacrificial system and all these different things. People have to go in and offer these sacrifices and then the plan comes into full culmination within the incarnation of Jesus. Or as John talked about, the Nutrigrain bar, the peanut butter cup, right? The God-man coming into God in fleshing in the incarnation. Now C.S. Lewis famously said this in Mere Christianity, a person can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works. Indeed, he or she certainly would not know how it works until they have accepted it. A person can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works. Now, this thing that we talk about when we talk about the, 
the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in fancy terms, is called atonement theory. You're like, don't care. <laughs> well, interestingly, I really do care about this, and this was going to be my, uh, the focus of my dissertation when I had these grand plans to go on and be, get a PhD, and then I arrived in Niswa. <laughs> it's not over yet. But what is happening when we talk about the cross? What is happening when we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What is it that God is doing through the death and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ? And so we have all of these theories that come about, you know, how is God dealing with sin? And so we talk about penal substitutionary atonement. Again, two more words that most of you have no interest in exploring further. We talk about the Christus Victor theory. We talk about the ransom theory. We talk about all these different theories about what is happening. Because for many people, there's this desire to try to explain what is happening through Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, as Paul points out to the Corinthians, he says this has been God's plan from the very beginning, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, these Scriptures, capital S, Scriptures, is mostly what he's talking about with the Old Testament. So God is talking about this idea of Jesus well in advance of the cross. So we have this issue, and when we talk about atonement theories, a few different people have used it to describe, used to describe this way. They say atonement theories are like looking at a diamond. You know, a diamond has many facets, so depending on where you look at it, I think of it this way. If you were to come to Timberwood Church and you were to stand at the front of the building, you would describe the building slightly differently than if you were to stand in this corner over here and say, tell me what Timberwood Church looks like. You're like, well, it looks like a big brown wall with some landscaping that looks like it was just kind of thrown in there. True statement. We had to deal with it because of, you know, codes. But if you look in the front, you're like, oh, it's this sweeping. My friends were like, it looks like a country club, clubhouse. They were here last week. I tried not to take that as an offense. It was no shame taken or meant. Brian Zahn, he was on the Holy Post this last week. It's one that I listen to every single Wednesday with Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani. And he's written this new book about the cross. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, for offering up this interview at the perfect time. He's talking about this new book that he's written. It literally just came out on Tuesday. And so what do I do? I go to Amazon. and I'm going to order this book so that I can read this book for this sermon. And I can't get it until next week. Like, what is happening to Amazon? <laughs> he said this. He said, the cross is where the sin of the world coalesces, comes together into a hideous singularity that it might be forgiven in mass. The cross is where the sin of the world coalesces into a hideous singularity that it might be forgiven in mass mass. How amazing is that? So often we look at the cross and we talk about how the cross is this picture of forgiveness and yet how we see the cross as this place of the hideousness of the totality of sin coming together in, in Jesus so that we can be forgiven and the sins of humanity can be dealt with in one place on the cross through Jesus Christ, 
death and resurrection. And as Paul says, this has been the plan from the very beginning because the gospel doesn't start with the second testament of Matthew. The gospel starts in Genesis because God creates humanity. He loves humanity. And God's desire is to be in relationship with humanity. And so he's been dealing with the sin problem throughout history for all of these years in all of these ways. And then he comes with Jesus Christ to be the final dealing with of the sin problem. Amen. I mean, that is the good news. The good news is that we have a God who cares so deeply and desperately to be in relationship with us, that he deals with all of these sins temporarily, and then in Jesus Christ, it's the finality of dealing with sin. That on on the cross, the totality of sin is dealt with. So we don't have to worry about it. Do we believe that? I was talking to a guy this week who stopped by. And ironically, he lived in southern New Mexico, as did I. And then he lived in Spearfish, as did I. And he told me that he went to an AG church in Spearfish, but he was going to try Timberwood. And I thought, this is not going to go well. And then I thought, maybe if the Spirit shows up and the intensity is there, maybe we could have a little bit of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters arrive in, the, in our own voice boxes. Just a little bit. I mean, could we do that for a visitor? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Think of it this way. So it was a number of years ago, and we decided that we were going to do this iron butt ride on motorcycles from Yankton uh, to Spokane, Washington, one day. My dad had planned the whole thing. We left in the summer solstice, left in the middle of the night. We drove. We're making great time. We get out to Belfouche, South Dakota. We're going to take the cut across from Belfouche up to Billings. If you don't know that way, you're like, why would you go that way from here? You wouldn't. But if you happen to be in the Black Hills and you wanted to take the shortcut, Belfouche to Billings, it's super easy. And we approach, and we're like, Oh, no. Stopped. There's no road. They have literally scraped away the entire highway between Belfouche and the Wyoming line. You're like, I didn't even know there was a highway there. Okay, well, there is. There used to be. And so now what do we do? We sit there on the hot tar that's still left, and we're waiting. What are we waiting for? The stupid pilot car. 45 minutes. We're literally like, we have a schedule. The sun is leaving us behind, and our iron butt ride is vanishing before our very eyes as we sit in western South Dakota, sweating and just agonizing. And then here comes the pilot car, and we have to follow the pilot car off the road. We're on this temporary road. And now if you were to go out there, you wouldn't have to wait for that because it would just be smooth sailing. That's like what's happening in the Old Testament and then what's happening in Jesus. We don't have to wait for the pilot car. We don't have to wait for the priest to come to offer sacrifices for us, to deal with this sin issue. We just get to go right to God through Jesus Christ, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's when the Pentecostal people said amen out loud with their voices. If only we could have like an AG, like laugh track, you know, it's just like, it's just a button right here, just like hallelujah, amen, just like simple clap, excited clap, moving of the spirit. 
black church. Like, I mean, just like, wouldn't that be, we just have our own button bar up here. We don't have to worry about anyone else participating in this. That would be amazing. Can we do that, Lee? Amen. I mean, it's just like, amen. Yep, we can do that. How do you feel when you have to lift something heavy? First John, John is writing to his beloved people. First John chapter 5, or verse 5, page 1021. John says this, This is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sin for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. When Jesus comes as the God-man, his mission is to seek and to save the lost. His mission is to deal with this sin problem. And again, we get another one of these like super fancy church words that make people either you know, roll their eyes back in their head or fall asleep. Propitiation. What does this even mean? Jesus is the means of our mercy for sin. He is the way that we are restored into right relationship with God. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. But the question is, what does that belief do for us? Or what does that belief do in us? It is through Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection that God brings about peace and reconciliation to humanity. He defeats the enemy once and for all, and that enemy is sin and death. Because so we get so focused on the cross that we often forget about what's happening in the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, we see Jesus overcoming death. Death being the enemy. Sin and death are the enemy. So the cross and the resurrection brings about the restoration so that those who are in Christ do not have to fear death anymore. Do we believe that our sins can be forgiven? Do we truly believe that, that when we are in Christ, our sins are forgiven? Well, first of all, the first question we have to ask is John asks, or John states, do we believe that we even have a problem? <laughs> right? That's the, the thing. You have to admit first that you have a problem before you can solve the problem. And John tells the recipients of his letter that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do we believe that? 
Do we believe that Jesus Christ, death and resurrection has taken care of all of the sins that exist in the world? This is not like a Kirk Cousins, do you like that moment? This is like a real in your face, do we believe that moment? Do we believe that no matter what we have ever done in our lives, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is our pathway to restoration with God? Do we believe it? For some of us, I know it's this really, really hard thing. It's this really, really hard step for us to say, yes, I believe it. I can say it with my mouth, but I'm not sure if I can truly deeply believe it in my innermost being. Paul says this in his second letter to the Corinthians. Typically, if you're a church that receives two letters, the first one apparently didn't work. Page 966. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do we believe that we are worth it? Because I think in a lot of ways that becomes this metric of belief for us when it comes to this idea of Jesus Christ. Because we live in our own heads and we live our own lives to the point where we know not only all of the terrible things that we've done in our lives, but also the terrible thoughts that we have had in our own minds. And so we come to this place where we really struggle with believing that, that we are worth it and that this work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection is enough. And I know certainly in my own life and the terrible decisions that I've made, some of them recently and some of them in my distant past, there comes to this place where we're struggling with, am I really worth it? Am I worth it that God would send his son to die on the cross for my sins? Am I worth it that Jesus Christ would leave heaven and come to earth to take on flesh, to live, to suffer, and to die, to be resurrected so that I could be made right with God? And so we come to this place of belief and Paul is encouraging and challenging the Corinthians to say that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and then we live our lives and we're like, but tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to feel a lot like I did today. And how am I new today when I'm still living with the reality of yesterday? 
And so we have this crisis of belief, and the enemy tries so hard to tell us and convince us that our belief in Jesus Christ is insufficient. That Jesus doesn't really love us that much. That the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is close. It's really good for a lot of people. But for you and what you have done, Eric, it's not quite enough. Because if it was enough, then your behavior would change. And that becomes this crisis of belief. Do I believe that I am enough? And the whisper of the Holy Spirit is yes. The call of Christ in our lives is come to me. God has been pursuing us from the very beginning, from the very first mistake. The good news of the, of the God of the universe is that he loves us so much that when we make a mistake, he pursues us. And it is only in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can seek freedom from our past and be made new in Christ to be reconciled to God and go about participating in the reconciliation of humanity to the God of the universe. Amen. I mean, yes, that is the good news. But do we believe it? Not this like existential, in my mind, I believe this. Do I believe it on a daily basis? Do I believe it in such a way that my life is changed? Do I believe it in such a way that the decisions that I make are different? And some days, many days, the answer for our behavior and our belief is my belief doesn't match my behavior and it just is maddening. And yet we love and serve a God who came to take on flesh to know what it's like to experience this thing called humanness. And the good news of the Bible is that Jesus loves us. And no matter what we have done or what we will do in the future, because the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't mean that tomorrow everything is perfect. The reality is that God loves us and pursues us and wants the best for us. Do we believe that here? Or do we believe that in the totality of ourselves? Let's pray.